This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 120 with Amy Lang. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 120. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. This episode of the Shameless Mom Academy is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive is an app that brings your workouts right into your earbuds by syncing the motivational guidance of a personal trainer with the perfect playlist to bring you an elevated on-demand audio fitness experience. Amy Lang is the founder of Birds and Bees and Kids, where she is a childhood sexuality expert and parent educator who helps parents talk to their kids about sex and sexuality. Her engaging, humorous, and inspiring style shows parents how to turn conversations they dread into something they look forward to and embrace wholeheartedly. Through her business, Birds and Bees and Kids, Amy helps parents of all beliefs have easy, open, and effective conversations with their children about sex. Amy is the author of Birds and Bees and Your Kids, a guide to sharing your beliefs about sexuality, love, and relationships, and Dating Smarts, what every teen needs to know how to date, relate, or wait. Amy has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post Live, and Babbel.com. You can learn more about her at birdsandbeesandkids.com. So I've been dying to get Amy on the show because I had questions about talking to my four-year-old about sex. I know, who knew it started this early? I knew Amy was going to have some lessons for me, and we dive into a lot of things here. First, I have to tell you, 
This is not a PG or G episode. We talk about a lot of anatomy. We talk about things that you may or may not want your children being exposed to, depending on where you're at in these conversations with them. So I'm just letting you know now that you might want to change your listening environment if you don't think this would be appropriate for you, your family, or maybe you're in the middle of your office and you don't want your office mates hearing this. So we're diving into some deep conversations here about beliefs and about sex. And I want to make sure that you're in a place where this is comfortable and appropriate for you to be listening. So Amy is going to be talking about how she got into this business, and it stems from her own discomfort in talking to her own four-year-old about sexuality that catapulted her into her career as a childhood sex expert. She's also going to be talking about what age you should be talking to your kids about sex and sexuality, and it actually starts right now, probably no matter what age your kids are. It's always the right time to be talking about body parts in the appropriate way and talking about relationships and talking about how we appropriately relate to each other on a platonic and sometimes not platonic level. Amy's also going to be talking about why talking to your kids about sex includes talking to them about masturbation and especially for girls. So this gets a little controversial maybe, but listen, I think that she makes some really amazing points. And I think that you might have a little bit of an attitude adjustment by the time you get to the end of this interview. So make sure you listen in if you're feeling really uncomfortable already, like this is totally meant for you. Amy's also going to share how you can become more comfortable and less awkward as you venture into territory that might be extremely uncomfortable for you. She will be sharing the reality of why we are seeing more sexualized and mature dress in younger children and how you can protect your child. She's also going to share the three ways you can protect your child from sexual abuse. And we're going to be talking about where radical responsibility comes into play with parenting and how to find your boundaries between being the parent and being accepted by other parents. Lots of big topics today. So you might want to take a few notes. You might want to listen more than once. Let's go ahead and dive in with Amy Lang. Amy Lang, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, I am super happy to be here too. This is going to be fun. I'm a little nervous because I'm worried you're going to tell me I've already missed like key milestones in sexually educating my child. I doubt it because okay, how great. old is he? He's four and a half. You're good. Okay, you good. most likely are super good, but we will get into the details of okay, you know good. how you may other ways you may have already screwed him up. Okay. Oh, and well, I know I've already done that. So. Well, of course, right? right. It's a given. We all do. Right. We all do. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal professional life beyond your bio. That's such a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that before. So I think one of the things about the way my personal and my professional life kind of intersect is that my child's my guinea pig, right? Yes. And so as I've been learning, he's been the person that I do the most work with. And lucky for me, he's totally totally private, totally hates it. And (laughs) I was just going to say, how is he possibly, he's like an early teenage boy. How could he possibly be cool with that? Yeah. He's 16 now. And he actually, yeah, he told me one time, he's like, I will never talk to you or daddy about this stuff. I'm like, what? I'm an expert. You're killing me. 
gosh. So that's like one intersection where I think most women, most people who run their own companies, most women, they don't have like this like constant science experiment going on. So there's that in my life. That's one kind of funky intersection. The other thing, you know, that I have just loved, you know, I started my company when Milo was about five, four and a half and five, and has been how flexible it really is. And so as I've grown, as my business has grown, he needs less attention from me. And so in the last few years, when he's been in middle school and high school, I really can work full time and no sweat. Yeah. And so that has also been a nice to kind of see that my family life evolve, my child get older, need me less, you know, my business need me more, you know, my business is my other baby. I'm a one and dunner. And so birds and bees and kids has been my total life passion. And I wouldn't have my company if it weren't for Milo. Like Milo is the whole reason I started birds and bees and kids. You know that. No, I was just going to say, I was going to ask you what got you into this. So let's go right into that and tell us how Milo impacted that. Yeah. So in my early, early twenties, I volunteered for a telephone hotline and I was providing pregnancy, birth control, abortion counseling for women who would call in with an unplanned pregnancy and I'd help them figure out like what to do next and where to get safe help and care. And I just loved it. And that was my hobby for over 16 years. I was a sexual health educator and counselor. It's what I did for fun. And I had just assumed I was going to be a rock star sex talker. Like this was my favorite thing to talk about. And I also got a master's degree along the way. And my focus was in adult education. So I had Milo and he's about four and he's getting ready for a bath. And he's like, Hey mama, did you know? And I stood there and I was like, Oh no, please don't tell me it feels good to touch your penis (laughs) because I got nothing. Oh my gosh. And so I'm standing there and I'm totally uncomfortable and I'm kind of panicking and I'm like, oh crap, oh crap, you've got to figure this out. But I was really calm and I just said, what? And he said, I can see the veins in there where the blood goes. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, great, get in the bathtub. And that's when I was like, okay, sister, you're a mess. Like, what the hell is this? So I realized that I needed to figure out how to talk to my kid. I didn't know how to talk to a kid about sex. And so I started doing some research. And then when I was really kind of looking into this and trying to figure it out, that's when I had the big, big, like, aha moment. I was like, oh, hey, I love sexuality. I love sexual health. And an adult educator, I bet I could teach parents how to talk to kids about sex. So that's when I started Birds and Bees and Kids. And so part of my business is working with parents. And the other part of my business is also working with professionals who work with children to help them understand like what's normal in terms of kids' sexual development. You know, how do you know if a child's sexual behavior is typical or not? And when should you intervene? And you know, what does sexual abuse look like? And how do we keep kids safe when they're in childcare, in youth serving organizations and that sort of thing. So I really do two things, but Milo is the total reason I started my company (laughs) because I was useless. And so here we are. No one would have expected that when you have this background of talking so openly about sex with grownups all the time, like why would it be weird and uncomfortable to talk to a four-year-old? But we get tripped up in our own when it's so close to home maybe. And also when the dynamic is different, between a, well, it's a parent-child dynamic, but then also adult-to-child dynamic that's... Yeah. And, you know, and then of course, you know, I think for most parents, our own personal histories just like get so in the way of those conversations. You know, most of us had really crappy examples of how to talk to kids about sex because our parents were terrible at it, right? Right. And, And then here we are tasked with this like 
hey, talk to your kid about sex. And I'm like, hey, I'd rather talk to a <laughs> pregnant 14-year-old girl than a four-year-old boy. <laughs> a pregnant 14-year-old who's not your own child because then there's, right. it's like you can just be in professional mode. It's different than being in mom mode. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Yeah. So anyway, so now Milo is just completely mortified by my work. And you know, do his friends, a girl. Do his friends know what you do? 
Like, oh yeah. And they're, yeah, they're great. Yeah. And one of his really good friends actually tells me stuff all the time and asks me stuff all the time. Yes. So he's great. And I, I have permission it. and I have permission from his dads to talk to him openly. We have a reciprocal arrangement. So okay. his kids know they can talk to me about anything that I won't tell their parents unless there's a safety issue. And then we'll talk to them together. And Milo has the same arrangement with his friend, Kenny's parents. So, oh my gosh. So yeah. The cool. kids, Kids need a soft place to land and they're going to test stuff. You know, as they get older, they'll test out stuff with not us Yeah, because we're prone to freak out. Somebody else's parent is less prone to, you know, another safe adult is less prone to freaking out. So that you yeah. brought, that's such a great point. So my mom was someone who always treaded very lightly with the sex talk. And we basically, there was like one conversation where she convinced me, she was like, I'll take you to Toys R Us for it to get this thing, which was like literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm like, oh, we're going to go to Toys R Us. Like I'm in. And it was like a 30 minute drive to Toys R Us. So she had me trapped in the car. So there was <laughs> no way to escape. And then she like starts telling me about babies. And I'm like, mom, I already know. Like my friend, I'm like, Molly Griebling already told me. And I had everything completely wrong. Oh, so I, I told my mom all of the wrong details. Yes. So she corrected me on everything. But then I was like, years later, I was like, that's why we went to Toys R Us. Like it was because it was the only way she knew she could get me in the car and I couldn't escape. But it's funny that my aunt often would come at me with all sorts of questions and I would get so uncomfortable, but she would make me talk about things much differently than my mom. And I had to like kind of open up. And I mean, it was uncomfortable for me, but it was like a safe place to talk. It's interesting that you bring up that point about having that safe place to land because sometimes it's not apparent, but it's important that a kid knows where that opportunity is because it's going to probably be or is going to be necessary at some point. Yeah. And we need to be directive about it, right? Because, you know, right. Uncle Creepy may look like he's safe and right. fun, right? Or Aunt Creepy, right. but they're not safe. Right. So you know who the safe adults in your kid's life are. Right. So just direct them, even yeah. at four. Yeah. Like, yeah. like even at four, just say to your sweet little guy, hey, if you ever have a question or a problem, you can ask so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Yeah. Right? That's great you, advice. his other parent, grandma, Right. so-and-so's best friend's mom, you know, the best friend's mom, that kind of thing. Right. Because they don't know always. Yeah. Right. And it's good to give permission, right? So let's go ahead and talk about then where do we start? At what age do we start talking about sex with kids? And what do those beginning pieces look like? So we should start talking with our kids about sexuality when they're born. What that looks like, everybody breathe, right? What that looks like. <laughs> I'm already four and a half years behind now. No. You're already four and a half years behind. I feel, I've done some things, so now I'm going to start checking yeah. off my boxes as you say okay. things. <laughs> you, check, you check away, sister. Um, so obviously using the correct names for private body parts, right? That's the first sex talk. Like saying as you're changing your newborn's diaper, that's your vulva and you have a vagina that's inside your body and this is your penis and this is your, these are your testicles and this is called your anus. Like using those words with their little bitties gets us used to saying them. Them, and then they've heard them their whole lives. Right. And so that's really the first sex talk. But if we're going to be, I know you really want to know, like, when do we get to the penis and vagina stuff? So that conversation really should happen probably way sooner than most people imagine. So when I started Birds and Bees and Kids, I didn't know, like, when to start the conversation. And so one of the things I did is I did some research and I looked at what countries are doing the best in terms of teen sexual health outcome. Mm. So who's got the lowest teen pregnancy rate, lowest STI, lowest HIV rates. And that would be the Netherlands. So I'm like, all right, great. What are they doing? 
we should all just do that. So one of the things they do there, aside from being super open and comfortable about sexuality just as a culture, is that they start sex ed really young, oftentimes in kindergarten. So this is in school sex education. And so, you know, my takeaway from that is that we really need to start talking to our kids, you know, in by five or so. So, you know, they really should know that the usual way and because people get knocked up all kind of different ways these days, right? And if you got two moms, there ain't no penis going in the vagina. But say the usual way that a baby's made is that, you know, the dad puts his penis in the mom's vagina, tiny sperm, tiny egg, hook up in the uterus, nine months, blah, blah, out the batch. So you'll notice that I'm being very casual about this because I'm figuring y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So getting that sort of like focus on like reproduction and how babies are made and, and, you know, correct names for private body parts, that's all fair game for the, you know, four, five, six year old sets. It seems really young. That's because we project when we look at our kids and we say, you know, Hey, Oh God, I got to talk to you about sex. We're bringing all this good, bad, and ugly stuff, right, Mm -hmm. to the conversation. We forget that our kids don't need to know what we know about sex. They will never know everything we know about sex, primarily about our personal histories. So if we're able to, like, take a step back and think about, like, why would you tell somebody so young? Like, why would you tell a five-year-old? Like, what makes five the right age? And there's a bunch of stuff. They're super open and curious. Like, all they do is learn, right? Right, right. They're non-judgmental. They don't know there's anything yucky, bad, embarrassing, or shameful about sex. They are oftentimes heading off to school. So they're hanging out with older kids who are happy to inform them, right? Like you learned, right? right. Your friend informed you and she was wrong, <laughs> Right. And so you could have spent a big chunk of your childhood thinking you knew what was what. Right. And then come to find out later and perhaps in a risky situation, because if you didn't know the penis goes in the vagina and then someone's trying to stick their penis in your vagina and you didn't know you could get pregnant, which happens regularly, you know, you're, you're at risk. Totally. Yeah. And I was told that the penis goes in the mouth and then the baby comes out the belly button. Excellent. So, so I would, I would not have known. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh my God. Your poor mother. Your poor mother. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I don't remember the conversation well, but I'm sure she was entertained. I'm sure she was like very, as I would be very excited to just go tell her friends what I had told her. (laughs) So is she still on the planet? Yeah. Yeah. You should ask her. I should ask her about it. Ask her about it. I will do that. She would probably really enjoy reliving that conversation. Yes, And you'll have to tell us all about the conversation. Okay. So ask your mama and see what she says. So I think one of the things we need to remember is this. When we start these conversations really early with our kids, it makes them normal in our family life. Like it's a normal part of my son's family life for us to talk openly about sexuality. He does not like it. And guess what? I do not care. I don't. Right. I don't care. I don't care that he's uncomfortable. I don't care that he doesn't like it because I know he needs to know because sexuality is part of being human. He needs to understand how that part of being human works. It's part of being human from the beginning. And Honestly, children who don't have information about sex and sexuality, who don't have open communication in their families, they're at higher risk for being taken advantage of. They're at higher risk for being sexually abused. And I don't want to put my kid in harm's way. And we do it all the time because we're uncomfortable. Right. I'm assuming when you first started these conversations, when he was much younger, he wasn't uncomfortable. It's been the teen years that have made it more uncomfortable for him. Yeah, yeah. 
So until he was about six or six, until he was about seven or eight, he was totally cool. And then when he realized that he knew more than everybody else, right. and he's also a really private person, right. that combo pack made him really like not happy to chat. So some strategies for a child that's like not interested is to just to call it out and say, I get it. You don't want to talk about this. Right. I totally understand. I wouldn't have wanted to talk to my mom either, but you got to know. So here we go. I am a super fan of books. Milo has always had books about sexuality that are accurate, comprehensive, fun, funny, helpful. So he has that as a safe resource. And so, you know, I've set him up and Carrie talks to him too, my husband. So we've set him up to be successful against his own will, right? right? (laughs) And, you know, I think that owe it to our kids. We owe it to our kids to make sure that they're healthy sexually, that they have really rocking sex lives later. (laughs) Yes, later. So two things I want to go back and touch on. You talked about your son being private. I think Vinny is going to very much be that way as well. So I'm aware of like having finding a comfortable place for him to have these conversations while it's just completely normal to him because I could see him being very private later on. So I want to really establish that groundwork now. The other thing is that we had this really interesting experience when we went through IVF last summer. We had to meet with a social worker at UW to talk about the process of IVF and what kind of surrounded our particular situation. And we had already gotten pregnant with Vinny via IUI, but not through the University of Washington. And so we did not meet with a social worker prior to that situation. So I went into this meeting like, I already know everything and this is a waste of my time and I can't believe you're making me do this. And I was super annoyed. It was so helpful. And what she wanted to talk to us about was like, your family will be like special for these reasons. And a lot of it was kind of talking around that particular IVF situation, which did not end up being successful. But some of the questions that came out of that were about, we already have a four-year-old and how do we talk to him about this when he gets older? And she was like, you're not already talking to him about this. And I was like, what? No, like, what should I be saying? And she's like, there's conversations you can already be having. So I already felt behind. And so I can't remember the name of the book I got. And I remember when I posted on Facebook, Amy, I remember you commenting. It's a book and it talks about all the anatomically correct words and all of the physical acts, but it's super... It's like it's not the stork, because it, it's not the yes, stork. Yes, like, it's not yes, the stork. Yes, that's the and book I recommend. Excellent. Yes. I will link to that in our show notes. So if you go to yes, shamelessmom.com, go to episode 120, and I will link to that book there. So we got the book for Vinny. And what we've done in that book and and a couple other books where things have come up is we talk about that like some people, sometimes mommies and daddies make babies and sometimes mommies like me, we went to the doctor's office to have a baby (laughs) and Dr. Dr. Chanel helped us make a baby. And we talk about like, we haven't gone super, super detailed with how that all works, but we've talked about just different ways. And he's just like, oh, okay. So now whenever we get to like a certain page in the book, he's like, yeah, but you went to Dr. Chanel's office. That's right. And, And this is what the social worker said that it's like so basic and just like it's science to them. So, and she's like, you just talk about like, it's an egg and a sperm that connect. It doesn't really matter. Like they don't care. It's not weird to them if it happened in a test tube, a Petri dish, a womb, like none of that matters to a four-year-old. But if you wait till they're like eight or 12, and then you're like, this is how it happened. They'll feel totally betrayed that like for them, it was different than maybe for their friends. And so it was a really, really valuable conversation. And so it's been great to have that door open for us. And I would say for any other families that maybe are in not the super traditional model of making babies. Yeah, we're not the typical way, right? Right, I mean, so that's why when no matter who's talking to their kid, like in my family, we're all penis and vagina people, right? Mm -hmm. But when we talk about it with kids, say the usual way, and it is the usual way, the penis goes in the vagina. And in our family, like you've said, this is how Right. You were made. This is how 
sibling got made, whatever your circumstances. Right. And again, just back to my previous point, our kids don't have a problem. No, they don't. He's like, first of all, he loves the book because the pictures he thinks are hilarious and there's words on them that he's like, that says anus. Like he doesn't even know what it is, but he's like, that means anus means butt. <laughs> so okay. it's super interesting to him and he wants, it's like 65 pages long and he wants to read it every night at the time. So I know. we'll pick, I'll be like, you can pick four pages to read. But yes. it's funny, like the page that actually has sex on it, he doesn't care at all about. He like really wants me to read the pages that have a butt, a naked butt on them. So right. and he's like, that's the anus. <laughs> right. So it's like the things that I think are going to be uncomfortable are not the things he even cares about. He cares about the things he thinks are going to be funny. So yeah, right. it's like this very simple, basic conversation, which is really great. Tell us a right. little bit about why we should be using the anatomically correct words versus like wee wee and pee pee and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's protective. You know, when kids know the correct names for their private parts, there's no mystery about them. Right. There's no secrecy. There's no shame. You know, calling your kids, you know, penis is tallywhacker is tinkle waggle. We do that because we're, again, we're uncomfortable. And if you think about it, like we don't call our noses our smellers. Right. I mean, it just sounds stupid right. when we, you know, sort of reframe that. And, you know, kids need to be able to communicate clearly about what's going on down there. So there's a famous sex educator story about a little girl who said to her teacher, Hey, teacher, grandpa touched my cookie. And the teacher said, Oh, honey, you should share your cookie with your grandpa. And the girl's like, okay. And she goes away. Next day comes back. Teacher, grandpa touched my cookie again. Oh my god! And teacher said the same thing. Hey, you should be sharing your cookies with your grandfather. And the girl tried one more time. And finally the teacher said, what do you mean by cookie? And she pointed to her crotch. So, yeah, if that little girl had said, Grandpa touched my vulva, the teacher would have been, all right then, right? <laughs> right? right. And immediately gotten her help. So it's part of its communication. It's protective when kids know the correct names for their privates. This is, again, a parenting problem. And so we have all these associations with these words with that it's because of how we were raised. It's because of our puritanical culture that makes sex and sexuality into either it's both the most important thing ever and it's the most terrible, secretive, bad thing ever. It's like this crazy combination of things and it's not serving our kids. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of talking to kids about sex is getting over your own shit, frankly. It's getting over yourself. And like you've been experiencing, like your kiddo thinks this book is hilarious read the part about the penis goes in the vagina and watch what he does. You know what he'll say? Huh? But you didn't do that because he already knows. Right? Right. You know, it's right? funny with that, with me, when my husband reads the book, he always reads that page. And with me, Vinny never wants to read that page. <laughs> like I keep waiting. I'm like, one of these days I'm going to gonna have to read that page. He's never picked that page with me because I do not read all 65 pages in one sitting. I know. So, I know. But I know my I know. turn is coming. So he has yeah. read it with Vince. And I asked Vince, I'm like, well, what do you say when you get to that page? He goes, I just read it. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. I guess we're doing that. Yeah. Cool. That's great. That's great. So yeah, I mean, early is better. And for those of you who are thinking, oh, crap, I've blown it. I'm going to have a pregnant 14-year-old on my hands. That's not the case. It just means, you know, the older your child is, the more you have to cover in a shorter amount of time. Uh, they're going to be more likely to be resistant because this natural, like, ick, ooh, gross factor kicks in. Right. And so you just need to say, I get it. You're grossed out. I get it. You don't want to talk about this. Sorry. You know, I'll be damned if you are clueless about this. Right. You know, there's enough research and evidence that shows us that informed kids are empowered kids. And so you want your kid to be the smartest kid on the playground about this stuff. Totally. You really, really do. You really do. 
Do you have any tips around approaching conversation and like getting over your own discomfort and awkwardness as a parent? Or is it just like a fake it till you make it kind of a thing? It's fake it till you make it. And the other thing I really recommend is I'm a super fan of scripts. So my Birds and Bees in Your Kids book, there are some scripts there to help you figure out what you're going to say before you say it. I drive around in my car and practice talking. There's times when you're by yourself say the things, say the things out loud. And when you're talking to your kiddos, I use this little formula that's just simple. It's facts plus values. So what is it and what's your value about it? So like if we use something like masturbation, right? So what's masturbation? The fact is that masturbation is when somebody touches their penis or their clitoris or their privates for pleasure. It feels good. Right. Right. Straight up value about masturbation, Amy's value is that is, well, frankly, yes, (laughs) that's my value. I believe that kids should explore their bodies. They should know it feels good to them, that people should explore their bodies, that masturbation is healthy. It's smart, especially for girls, because they need to figure out what feels good to them. Because at some point they're going to have a boyfriend or maybe a girlfriend that touches them there. And they're like, holy cannoli, you made me feel that way. And the reality is that they can make themselves feel that way any dang time. Oh, I love that. Well, two things. I love that combination of facts plus values because that gives some framework for the conversation, I think, which can be really helpful or the framework for the topic. And I love what you just said about masturbation, about girls especially being empowered by that, because I think that especially, I think it's like a kind of a given for boys that like, oh yeah, of course boys, and they love that and they do it and they do it all the time. And like, it's just extremely normalized culturally and it's not at all for girls. Um, Right, right, right. And then one other piece with masturbation is that it's something people do in private when they're alone, right? When you're talking to kids in particular, right? It's something people do in private when they're alone. When your kids get older, like heading towards middle school, it's like, yeah, masturbation is awesome. That's something people do when they're in private and when they're alone and they do it with their partners. Everyone agrees it's something they can do together, but it's not for kids. It's for later in life. Yeah. Let me move us forward a little bit. I want to go back to that, but we'll get there in a minute. Okay. So, so many good things here. So I think that sexualized behavior is happening earlier than it did when I was growing up. Do you, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. So talk a little bit about, is like there just more awareness and conversation around it or is it actually happening earlier? And then what do we need to know about like what our kids are hearing and experiencing so that we can make sure we're like keeping up. Cause I think that like when I was in, I found out in mid high school that people were doing more than just making out in junior high. And I was like, what? And drugs too. I was like, people in my middle school did drugs. Like I had no idea. I was so naive, but I think all that stuff now, it's like the things that I thought weren't happening until my senior year in high school were actually happening in the eighth grade. And I think now they're probably happening like in the fifth grade, maybe the fourth grade. So Talk a little bit about that. So let me just define the word sexualized first. So sexualized, essentially, when we talk about children being sexualized, what we're talking about is children engaging in adult-like behaviors. Okay. Okay. So if we're looking at that, and so we see childhood has been girls in particular, we see it more with girls than with boys. Boys are being sexualized as well. But what we're seeing with girls, so here's an example. So when I was in college, so when I'm 21, 22, 23, I worked in a before and after school program. Okay. So I worked with kids every day. And I do not recall ever having to talk to a girl about the clothes she was wearing. Mm. So I'm in kindergarten through fifth grade, right? right? Never had to say, hey, high heels, not a good idea. Right. Hey, 
super short skirt kind of makes it hard to run and play 10 year old. Like never, ever, ever had to say something like that to a girl or notice that with a girl. So now I work in boys and girls clubs and there's, you know, kids, the girls dress more and more like teenagers. And so I have to be careful about this because I'm not slut shaming. That's not what's happening here. When we talk about children and being safe and their bodies, you know, the last thing we need is a four-year-old dressing and acting like a 14-year-old. And so what's happening is that kids are exposed to media that's got sexual content or has older kids dressing and acting like adults. So television programming that is about high schoolers is often aimed at six through nine-year-olds. And so do six through nine-year-olds have anything in common with 16 through 18-year-olds? No. Okay. Right. And so then we have marketing. And so kids always want to act like older kids. Always, always, always. I mean, I remember just idolizing, you know, one of my neighbors who was older than me and she was so cool and pretty and all of that. I remember that clearly. And so kids always idolize other kids that are older than them. And so now they're mimicking them. So what's happening for children is that they are being allowed to dress and act in ways that are beyond their years. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand if you're 12 and you're dressed like you're 18 in a tiny little skirt and a strapless whatever, and then high heels that they don't understand what they're doing. They're not mature enough emotionally and intellectually mature enough to understand what they're doing. And so it can really put them into a space that's potentially problematic. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And then we'll see that behavior. You know, we know there are typical behaviors that kids exhibit throughout childhood. And what we're seeing now is like this downward drift. So we see behaviors that were typical for nine to 12 year olds in puberty. Now we're seeing six to 12 year olds who are not in puberty exhibiting some of those behaviors. And it's not healthy. It's not okay. It's not safe. 
I had a client at the gym years ago who was a fifth grade teacher. And I remember her telling me she'd been teaching probably for like five or so years at that point. And she said, these children are not that the children are maturing, the parents are allowing the children to act in much more mature ways than they used to. So it's her fifth or so year in teaching. And she's like, I have this little girl and I had to have a conversation with the mom about that it's not appropriate for the little girl to be wearing a G string that can be seen above the waistband of her jeans every day. And the mom was totally offended that the teacher contacted her about this and said this wasn't appropriate. And she's like, I feel like this is a safety thing. But the mom was like, telling the teacher that she's totally out of line, that she's basically like casting judgment on her as a parent. And I'm thinking like, I think she needs to have judgment cast on her as a parent. Like, that just seems very unsafe for that little girl. And it's because of exactly what you're talking about. You have little girls who are presenting and it can be little girls or little boys, but you have just children who are presenting in a very different age range than they actually are. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the bottom line is like, I mean, it's easy to judge a mom making that choice. But the thing we have to remember, you know, is that this creeped up on us. We didn't like wake up and suddenly every 10 year old was wearing thong underwear because 10 year olds need to worry about panty lines. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. I know. Right? So, so much we didn't stress. Wake up, right. So much stress, right. We didn't wake up in this world, right? It's creeped up on us. And so it's having an impact on children's safety. And so as moms, we really need to trust our guts. Yeah. So when we see kids using language or dressing or behaving in a way that feels too mature, guess what? It probably is. And it's your job to say, hey, not okay. Not okay. You're not old enough for that. You know, we'll talk about wearing whatever later on, but for now, it's not okay in our family. Our values don't, this don't match our values. And so a lot of what happens is that moms in particular go against their own values because as you know, as a mom, we do a whole lot of pretending like we're in high school and trying to fit in with the other moms. Yeah. So what happens when we're doing that is that we actually put our kids at risk. And I know people don't like to hear that, but I know it for myself. I mean, I'm a mom. I've been a mom for 16 years. I watch how I raise my child, how I do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm actually pretty good at not keeping up with the Jones. So like, I think that especially when it comes to talking to kids about sexuality, like there's this confusion between, well, if you're going to tell your kid, you know, that people have sex because it feels good to their grown up bodies and that it's okay to tell your kids penis goes in vagina and you're going to be super open about this, then it's also okay to let your child watch R-rated movies and PG-13 movies and to just dress however they want to because you're super open. Those two things are not the same thing. Right. Being open about sexuality and being healthy sexually and talking about sexual values, that is core parenting work. Letting a child wear whatever, do whatever, watch whatever because they're quote unquote mature, which usually means they're intellectually mature, not emotionally mature. And so you let them do all that kind of older kids stuff. Those are two separate things. The one is healthy. The one is like giving your kids a whole food diet. The other is like giving them a junk food diet. And, you know, I say all this and I know how hard it is for parents to have these open conversations with their kids. This brings me back to something that we talk a lot about on the podcast. And I use it in reference to moms like creating their own joy and going through a lot of self-care. But I talk about radical responsibility. And I think that this is a great conversation around radical responsibility because it's like you have to look at what's the radical responsibility here. And the radical responsibility is like doing the thing that will protect your child and educate your child and be in line with where your child is developmentally from an emotional standpoint 
not necessarily like I remember begging my mom to see Dirty Dancing when I was invited to slumber parties like over and over and over again where she'd be like no 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 and then finally when she said yes it was like oh my god and then I went to the slumber party and we literally watched it like five times in a row back to back but there was things that I had to wait for I remember the first R movie I saw was Flashdance and she was like I want to watch this with you I didn't even know want to see it like I knew nothing about it but she's like I think you'll like this dancing but we're going to watch it together in case you have any questions and I remember her pausing it at certain places to be like, and now do you have any questions about this? And I was just like covering my eyes like, no, I don't want to talk about it. But that was like her sense of radical responsibility. Like you can see certain things, but within a certain context, because you are not emotionally ready to see all of this at once at a slumber party with like 15 other girls. And maybe all the other parents are cool with that. But like, this is not where I'm at right now. And this is not where our family's at right now. And that I can totally understand where that is an uncomfortable thing for parents but it comes back down to that radical responsibility piece. Yeah, that is a beautiful example of how to handle sexualized media and how to stick to your guns and how to teach your child about your values about sexuality. So that's really, really amazing that she did that. I did have one question for you. So when you finally got to watch Dirty Dancing, did you have the time of your life? I did. I totally had the time of my life, like five Sorry. times in a row. <laughs> I could not help myself. I just heard that song on the radio. So <laughs> I still love that song. Like it reminds me of, like, it was like a, when I finally got to watch the movie, it was like this pivotal moment in like, I think it was the seventh or eighth grade, but it was like, it was a big freaking deal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally, I get all weepy when I hear that song. Anyway, I digress. So yes. So I love this idea. Like parenting is hard, straight up. It's hard. And so you have a choice to do the hard work of parenting and have a really positive outcome. And you have the choice to do the hard work of parenting and have a negative outcome. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I really try to make the harder choice. And oftentimes for me, the harder choice has set me aside from my peer group. And that's been hard. That's been hard. And I believe that when it comes to sexuality, we owe it to our kids. We owe it to them to grow up, to feel really kick ass about who they are as a sexual person, however they are, whoever they are, who they love, you know, if they're straight, bi, whatever, like it doesn't matter. Like we love our kids no matter what and making sure we do our work to make sure that they grow up and feel wonderful about who they are in particular in relationship to this part of life. Because most of us made mistakes along the way due to lack of education to due to lack of that real confidence about our sexual health and our sexuality. So I don't want that to happen to my child. Right. Although I might be totally screwed because of my profession, <laughs> right? You know, I was like, knocking wood, I'm going <laughs> to knock anybody up. Uh, so, yeah. So I think that we really, you know, anyway, so love that your mom did that. Tell her the expert says, Oh, Double I will. I will. I'll tell her. When I bring up the whole conversation about going to Toys R Us, I'll yeah. affirm her for the flash dance experience. Yeah, and ask her about that. And you should interview her. Oh my gosh. Would she do I it? would love to, but I don't think she would do it. But okay, well, I would I love to. I've actually thought about it before. But first of all, I think she'd be crying the whole time and just want to be like, oh, I'm just so proud of you. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how she just is in normal life. <laughs> so then I'd be trying to make her talk while she's crying and then I'd be yeah, annoyed. <laughs> It wouldn't work. Well, I hope that I mean, maybe she'd let you just record the conversation just casually. Yeah, that, yeah maybe that. Yeah. Anyway, so I can't wait to hear. Okay, I cannot well, wait I'll to listen. Back. To hear I'll report back. Her story. Report back. You've mentioned and referred to a couple different times putting kids at risk and kids being at risk for sexual abuse. And let's talk a little bit about what we can do to protect our kids from sexual abuse, because I think that's like 
one of the biggest things. And I think that we can all very conclusively agree that that's a big, big goal. Yeah. So a couple things, obviously talk openly about sexuality, make it an open book conversation in your family. That's the first thing. Uh, talk to them about how they are the boss of their bodies. Like say explicitly, like you're the boss of your body. Nobody has the right to touch you in a way that feels uncomfortable, scary, painful, pinch, poke, including touching your privates. So be straight up about that. Make sure that you respect their boundaries. One of the ways to do that is to request permission before you hug or touch or kiss a child, even your own kid. Also, you know, that's my personal policy with children. I'll be like, hey, how about a high five when I meet a kid? I'll put my hand out if they want to have a handshake. And if they go for it, I do it. If not, I don't. So I behave as a safe adult. So you bring up such a great point about requesting permission. And I'm sure we've all been in these situations where children are forced to hug their elders, essentially forced to hug all sorts of people. But I think it often happens with grandparent type figures. So we had a situation at Vinny's school, which all came from love, but it made me very uncomfortable where one of the assisting staff at his school, not a teacher, but one of the assisting staff often would want a hug from him in the morning. And this was someone that we interacted with a lot. I had to bring a special lunch in for Vinny. So I would go in and put the lunch in the refrigerator. And she was so kind and loving with him and so patient. And as my child was generally freaking out because he hated being dropped off at school. So she would ask for a hug and he never wanted to give a hug. And so I was always, you know, like, you don't have to. But then I felt bad for her because culturally for her as well, it was like this grandmotherly caretaker thing. And I just always said, like, you don't have to if you don't want to. And if you want to come back later and give her a hug, that's fine. But I felt like she was always really offended. And I just had to stick with it. Like, I was like, I'm not going to make my child who already has anxiety around school. I'm not going to force him to hug someone. That's right. I knew that, like, and I almost went in and had a conversation with her separately, but then I didn't. I just kind of kept saying to him in front of her very vocally, like, you don't have to hug if you don't want to. It's okay. Yeah. And so we just kind of went through that like over and over and over. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's not your job to rescue adults. Right. It's not your job. So one thing you could have said, just moving forward, same circumstances, you could have said, how about giving her a high five? Yeah. So we did that sometimes. Right. So giving that alternatives. So if, you know, your child needs to be able to say no to you. And I know culturally, so culturally, there are some cultures where you always kiss and hug as a greeting. And in that circumstance, you just say to your child, okay, look, here's the deal. First of all, you never have to do that if you don't want to. But culturally, this is how this happens. So you kiss is it, you greet with a kiss. That's it. Right. Right. You know, but always make sure they're empowered to not do that. Right. Okay. So what else do you want us to know about parenting and talking to our kids about the birds and the bees? Oh, I just think I want you to just get over yourselves. <laughs> That's a good one. Just get over I yourselves. do. I'm kind of tired. Well, it really I mean, is. It's like bigger than us and we make it about us. Yes. It's not about you. Parenting is not about you. Right. Right. This is not about you. So I actually mean that with all the love in the heart because I do struggle with this myself. Remember, I've got a kid who doesn't want to talk to me. Try that on. Try being a sex educator and having a child who's like, no, I'm not talking to you. So educate yourself. And one of the best things you can do for yourself is if you're parenting with somebody, have conversations with them about how are we going to handle this? How are we handling this? And honestly, how are we going to kick it up a notch? No one dies from having a sex talk. No one. (laughs) My doctor told me no one dies from being in pain and labor. And I was sure I was going to be the first. But I also would agree with you that no one will die from a sex talk, even though you might think that you will be the first. Right. You won't. That's not going to happen. Make sure that when you're having the conversations, keep them really short and sweet. Don't like it's not like it's Wednesday. It's hump day. We're having sex talks. (laughs) Like none of that. Right, right. 
right? Make sure the conversations are sort of happening consistently, you know, throughout the week, month, you know, the younger your kid is, the fewer conversations you need to have. You know, now we probably have something that comes up, relationships, dating, sex with Milo weekly, easily, if not more frequently, because it's relevant, right? right? It's relevant. I would say it comes up, I mean, with a four and a half year old, it comes up all the time. His hands are always in his pants. He needs right. to take a bath and I have to like beg and plead to get him to scrub his butt, which right. by at this time, I'm like, you scrub your own bottom. Here's the soap. Like yeah. so we're talking about sexuality quite a bit with a child who is naked often and has his hands in his pants when he's not naked. So right. I think it comes up a lot. Yeah, it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot. And if we're smart about it and there's all kinds of things, like it's not always like all the parts going in holes stuff. It's also right. about relationship yeah. and what healthy relationships look like. And when stuff comes up in the news, like you hear about somebody who's young and pregnant talking about, wow, that must be really hard. You know, think about that. She's 14. She's pregnant. That must be so hard for her. You know, I hope that she gets lots of help and support. And then you can say, you know, if you ever got pregnant or got someone pregnant when you were a teenager, we would make sure that you both were really well supported. But that's why Jesus made birth control. And you're not allowed to have sex until you're late 20s, right? It's simple things, simple things. I love that. And we have to do a part two and talk more about teens and sexuality because I know we kind of intentionally left a lot of, because that's such a big conversation on its own, we left some of those big pieces out and talking about like your verbiage, I think is wait or date, relate or wait. Yes. But I have a book, book for teenagers called Dating Smarts. Yes. So we every a, teen, yeah. We'll do a follow-up episode about yeah. that because I think these are really big topics. I know more of our listeners have younger children, but there's so many big topics around those big conversations around that and like how you would handle a child's, finding out your child's sexually active, finding out your child is pregnant or got someone pregnant, like all those kinds of things. So we'll definitely book another episode for that. Yeah. Before we move on to our lightning round, I have one final question, which is related to your work, but also related to you as a mom. In what ways are you a shameless mom? I love this question. So I think one of the ways that I am a shameless mom is that I have really mommed my way. So I have really paid attention when my intuition was saying like, this isn't okay for my kid. And when everybody else was letting their 10 year olds play first person shooter video games, I said, no. I said no and told Milo's friends, parents, like my kid's not allowed to play these games. When, you know, I started talking to him super early about sex, he had a seven o'clock bedtime forever because I needed time. I mean, parenting is hard. And Carrie, my husband is, you know, I've lucked out, right? I've had a really supportive spouse and he's a great dad. And so I feel like that's one of the ways I'm shameless. I mean, you know, people don't like that about me because I'm making stuff up maybe, but I sometimes think some parents have cope, you know, parents in my life have watched me parenting and been like, wow, you know, Like, I don't like that. She's not the fun mom. (laughs) Well, but I am fun. I mean, I am fun. Right. And I think that it's easy to be stigmatized a certain way because of maybe certain values. But yeah, like there's a way to be in a fun mom, but also be a really radically responsible parent. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that so I mean, for me that, you know, it's taken a while for me to like be okay with that, because I have high inclusion needs. I want everyone to like me. I want to be invited to stuff. And I am invited to stuff. And people do like me. But then this land of momming, I think sometimes, especially when Milo was younger, people would be like, Oh, like with the video game thing, they were like, Oh, and they'd feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's gut knows it's not okay for kids to pretend like they're killing people. 
I don't, it's very real, right? But we do, we go against our gut. So not to say that I'm perfect, but that's one of the ways I think I've been shameless is like, we have done things differently. Like I took positive discipline. I'm a positive certified training person. And that's how we parented Milo. Like there's no yelling at my house. There was no timeout at my house. Granted, I had, that's a lie. There was yelling. There was still (laughs) yelling. But when it came time for Milo, when he made a mistake, and he needed some help in making different decisions, we did it a very different way, which is one of the blessings of having an only child. And so, I mean, I just have parented differently than a lot of people, and I don't fall in line with the status quo. I don't like it. It makes me sad for other moms who go against their guts because they're so busy trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sometimes I've been a little bit lonely, but I have my people, right? I have my people who get me, who love me, who appreciate me. You know, that's all I really need. And my child is great. And which I know is what really matters. And it's all because of my parenting. Right, of course. Well, and I think one of the things that happens when you do draw lines in the sand on certain things is that like, yes, you might find yourself excluded in certain areas, but you also will start attracting the people who are the people you really want in your inner circle. And so, you know, I've talked about that before on the podcast, that it's okay to take a stand on things and know what you stand for. And you absolutely should know what you stand for, because that's how you actually find the tribe you really want to love versus being in a tribe where you're like, these people kind of suck, but like, I'm going to let my kid play the video games I don't believe in because I just want to be with these kind of people, you know, like, so I think it's important to draw those lines. And I don't want to stand out. I don't want to say, oh, I don't want to be the different one. Right. Like, Right. I mean, so this all feels like high school to me. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of mommy that's just like high school. I feel lucky that we are part of two different parent groups where it has not felt that way at all so far, which has just been so amazing because I see so much of it. All you have to do is like go to a parenting page on Facebook and start reading the comments and you're like, whoa, mom stuff is high school. (laughs) It goes goes there real quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I also just want to be totally clear about something. Like I get that I have all of my needs met. Like I am white, middle-ish, upper class. I am married to a guy. I have one kid who's totally typically developing. There ain't nothing funky going on in my world. So I have it really easy. I have it really easy. And so I'm a well, well aware, aware, well aware of that. And I've had the luxury of being able to make these parenting choices. So, I mean, I get that I am super duper duper lucky. So I just want to like point that out that not everybody is different people. Right. And different people. Yeah. In other situations, it's like families in other situations, it's like shoot them up games might be the least of their worries. Exactly. So exactly. Totally get it. Totally understand. Exactly. So let's go ahead and head into our shameless mommy minute lightning round here. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Oh, bathtub, glass of wine, Netflix. Nice. Do you have a TV in the bathroom? That's why Jesus made iPads, girl. (laughs) I have a rack that sits in my tub and I can prop. Nice. Yes, I it's to, very good. I need to get one of these. We have a jutted bathtub that our hot water heater is not big enough to fill. That's terrible. <laughs> I that know. Like, so we don't use it. Terrible. I know. I know. That would, it's I would, very sad. I would suicide over that. Yeah, that is terrible. <laughs> yeah, so that is my yeah. go-to, nice. like, my happy place right there. Nice. What's the current book that you're reading or the last one you read? I am reading. Okay, so here's how I read. I have a Kindle that my father-in-law gave me that has access to all of his murdertainment detective novels. So I'm reading one called Granite City. It's about a Scottish detective, and it's totally right up my murdertainment alley. I read that. And then I am also reading The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. Oh my gosh, I love the contradiction there. (laughs) 
Yes. So I am a total brain candy reader and it's always almost, I love detective murdertainment books. I'm sure, you know, Danielle Laporte has another book coming out very shortly. Oh no, I didn't know that. She does. It's coming out. Like, I think you can actually get it. I think it's like on pre-order right now. Okay, good. Well, so one of the things that I do to also treat myself is I have tiny book clubs. So I have a tiny book club with my friend Stacy with the Daniel Laporte Desire Map book. So we read, we read about a chapter or two and then we have a glass of wine and discuss Oh, you don't have to read the whole book to have book club. You just read a couple chapters. Mm-hmm. And then we read the next chapters. Brilliant. The next chapter. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. What's one morning ritual you can't live without? Reading the newspaper. Nice. Who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, I have no answer. Okay. We'll Who is my biggest inspiration? Actually, I'm really inspired by women who are willing to be really uncomfortable to meet their goals. Oh, that's a really good answer. No one's ever said that before. Thank if you, you can give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Huh. Oh, to put themselves first. Good one. Nice. Like to know, like, uh-oh, here I'm in this moment. What needs to happen here? Right. They, they automatically go, oh, right, me first. Yes. Yes. I love it. Amy, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I so appreciate it. And you are just a wealth of information and resources. And I'm so grateful. Tell us where we can find you and where we can find your books. All right. So my website is birdsandbeesandkids.com. It's all spelled out. Okay. A-N-D. Got it. And you can find all my business there. You can find access to my books. I have a video called Birds and Bees and Kids, The Basics, which gives you the basics for talking to your kiddos about sex. You can just watch that for free. Facebook, Birds, Bees, Kids. I also have a blog. And then hopefully later on this year, I'll be starting a podcast. So you can be able to find me there. You said it out loud. Now it has to happen. It's going to (laughs) happen. I remember saying it. I talked about my podcast out loud before I had like a total plan for it, I was being interviewed for something. And I was like, Oh, crap. Now I said it out loud. There's no going back. Yeah, no, it's happening. So it'll be Q&A style. So and that's the other thing too. on Facebook, people can reach out to me or via email. If this episode was helpful to you, and you think you might have other friends who would benefit, please, please share this episode. I think it's a really, really important one. If nothing else, just to protect children from opportunities for sexual abuse. I think this episode is one of the most important ones I've recorded. So I really encourage you to share this out among circles of moms, circles of parents that you are in touch with, whether you're doing that via social media, via private email, whatever is appropriate and comfortable for you. But I really would like this episode to be shared as much as possible so that we have this information out so that we can keep our children safe and we can help them have really appropriate, safe, comfortable, age-appropriate relationships. So you can share this episode by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 120. That will give you a link to the episode that you can share, or you can go to our social media channels on Facebook or Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy to get links to this episode and share them out via social media. Thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate you listening, but I especially appreciate you listening when things might be a little uncomfortable and might push some of your own boundaries a little bit. So give yourself a pat on the back. We all survived a little bit of sex ed today. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. So I appreciate you listening. I hope you listened shamelessly. I hope you took some great notes and I hope you move forward today feeling a little more comfortable about the route you want to go with your own children with these conversations. And no matter what you do today, I hope you do it shamelessly. Oh, hey, 
everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.